Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Welcome to See You on the Other Side. Today we have with us our good friend, Brian J. Showers, who is an author and publisher at Swan River Press in Dublin, Ireland. How you doing? And our first, our first international guest. Yes, this is our first Everybody. international guest. Yep. Yeah. Sort, so. of, sort of. Yeah. So in <laughs> full disclosure, uh, we know Brian from college at the University of Wisconsin and um, film classes, TV shows, and countless strange parties and things like that in time. <laughs> and, Very strange. Yeah. No, and Brian's a guy who's uh, an, a horror author, ghost story, um, some really cool stuff. Anyway, we're going to talk more about that. Uh, either way, Brian, welcome to the show. And uh, how'd you get into weird stuff in the first place? Yeah, let's talk about some ghosts. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know what? Whenever this question comes up, I've, I've, when I've interviewed some people, I've asked the same question. And uh, I'm going to have to go with, I was born this way. Okay, good. <laughs> well, seriously, think, think about it. Like, like, when did you become interested in aliens and UFOs? You know, like uh, when you're three years old, it's kind of like, if this doesn't have an alien in it, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm definitely out. I remember the first um, UFO book I read, Fat Men from Space. And uh, about a about a bunch of fat guys from space that came to Earth to try to steal our potato pancakes, and <laughs> that set a template for all the books I wanted to read in the future. You were you were that you were that kid in middle school that was always at the like the lake monster in Bigfoot section of the library. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. Like the yeah. uh, I had right by the time I'd gotten to be twelve years old, I'd exhausted. The resources of the Big Ben Public Library and moved to the La- the Waukesha Library to try to. I mean, I was a geek that ate everything I could about weird stuff. Yeah, pyramids, crystal skulls, in search of. I mean, it was yeah. all there. Yeah, I think it's all part of the same thing, though, too, isn't it? That sort of mystery and the unexplained and the unknown. Um, and depending on whether you you know become a, a Sasquatchologist or a ufologist or or into ghosts, I, I think it I think it all sort of springs from the same place, though. Right, sure. and it's it's. Those things are, you know, we have, we're at a point where we have the answers to so many questions. So the things that we don't have answers to are just that much more fun. You know, it's like. (laughs) Well, and sometimes I like those weird answers better. Like every day the moon eats the sun or whatever. And the sun's (laughs) like, that's more exciting. We're just revolving around the thing. And this cold, uncaring, Lovecraftian. Or even the lack of answers. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think think that's key to to the supernatural. And that's. That's kind of what sets it apart from, you know, a mystery story. Is a mystery story you get a nice little answer at the end, mm-hmm. but I think in a good supernatural tale, you, you, there's there's just no answer. So and it's, it's <clears throat> usually, well, it, it's usually there's it's the case where, um, you know, pe- people that really love ghost stories, if if they do get an answer, you know, to the ghost story, like it turns out that you know the Scooby Doo ending, <laughs> right? Um, this will this will right. upset people. Uh, they prefer yeah. to have that mystery maintained. I think. Yeah, it's, it's and, a certain sort of sensibility. In those types of stories too, it's it's fun because it's since there isn't an answer, you know, often 
it's the answer is created by someone's imagination. So it's <laughs> right. It's if, fun. It just, I don't know. I like if, that stuff. If the UFO is just going to be swamp gas, then I don't care. You know, it's <laughs> exactly right. right. It's all oh, those, those are lights from passing cars. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, speak, Disappointing. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Speaking of uh, UFO stories real quick. Um, our guitar player sent me a message on Friday night that he had seen a UFO. <laughs> ben sees UFOs like twice a week. Yes, like it's, it's like, <laughs> right. It depends on how many beers he's had. Actually, I see them all the time too. He's like totally just saw a UFO. Way too low and bright to be a satellite. Too high to be an airplane. <laughs> and the lights were facing the wrong That's way. Awesome. And then it just disappeared. <laughs> Eastern sky looking out my backyard. And... <laughs> so I can imagine him. He's sitting on the porch having a drink or whatever, and then he sees it, and then he's like, "I'm like, why? Take a picture of it. Don't text me about it." But you know? okay, you know, I'm I'm a little bit nearsighted, <laughs> so sometimes I'll see something in the sky, and I'm like, "What? It doesn't. It's not like normal airplane lights. What the? What is that? You know?" But it's just because of the angle or whatever. But but initially, my reaction is like, "Is that is that an alien? Right, this could be my moment." <laughs> I assume I don't know what it is, but someone else probably does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, and, and around here, there's a lot of like military weird stuff. I mean, not weird stuff, but things you don't see every day. Yeah. Um, at well, night and stuff like that. Sometimes I'll see interesting things. But but that's sweet that Ben saw UFO. So because... Ben, just, uh, it's just a little, just a little <laughs> sidetrack there. That uh, so, but Brian, though, your family. Do your your parents or anything into weird stuff or your you know nope. your siblings nope. so <laughs> they couldn't be any less weird my entire family is pretty pretty on the level um a lot of engineers that sort of thing okay. um, <laughs> no psychics <laughs> i i don't think so no no okay nope. so what were some of the ghost stories and, and stuff that you read early on that kind of influenced you to get into literature publishing things like that oh man um <clears throat> Uh, I, I think, do you, you remember this book? And I, we, we talked about it the other day, Haunted Wisconsin. Absolutely. Haunted Wisconsin. Yeah. It's on my sister. I'm at my sister's house in Milwaukee right now. And it's on my sister's bookshelf, like eight that's yards Scott away. Michael Norman. And we've talked <laughs> yeah. about that on, in other episodes too. That's, that's pretty influential, influential it reading. Is. It's a great book. Yeah. And it's, um, and I, I don't, I mean, it was just for whatever reason, my normal parents had this on the bookshelf, <laughs> uh, and I picked it up, um, and again, it's it's a little bit different, you know. It's not a literary uh, ghost story. It, it's it's um, they're not necessarily cast as true either, but they're they're folkloric yeah. uh, retellings of these sorts of things, like the the Ridgeway Phantom. <coughs> but I, I I think what I really liked was that this stuff was down the block. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, like when you're reading the Lake Monster book and you come across that mention of of the the Lake Monster in Lake Monona, um, that's what that's what's really cool. That's that's when you're kind of like, hey, I could just go down there and uh, right. you know, dangle toes in the water. Uh, it feels more real it, because it's it, the places yeah. are things you're familiar with. It's not just like yep. exactly, exactly. And but, that, I mean, that was one of them. that's funny about the dangling your toes in the water though, because that's a story about one of the lake monster stories. Um, the tickle at picnic point. Yeah, the girl, the girl's feet were like being licked by what she described as a dragon they were at picnic point and and yeah and she's like well i wasn't scared because it had kind eyes and i'm like oh no it's totally cool you know it's fine you know a a dragon a dragon licking my feet 
there's I would I I don't care how kind its eyes were. I run. You know, I get. I'm see. You, I'm yeah. gonna go. He's gonna eat me. He's already started on the feet. Like he's tasting. What's so weird? What's so weird? Dude? My feet. It's just a dragon. Whenever I eat chicken, I just lick it first too. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, a, But oh, if he had mean eyes, ooh, right, and it's time right. to run. But that's the kind. Of, so that's great. That's great though, Brian. You, it's you're reading about stuff that could be. You know, so often we. In literature and in movies and everything like that, everything takes place in Los Angeles and New York, obviously, where the yeah. production centers are. Um, yeah. So to have those stories in your own town get, makes it so much more interesting than yeah. – uh, and, and so, right, so Haunted Wisconsin was one of the first ones that really got you. Yeah, and you know, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is another one, okay. uh, which I think you know nearly everyone our age grew up with. Uh, and the other thing I noticed about that one too is, is the guy that wrote that, Alvin Schwartz, he was definitely a folklorist. Um, I think they're just so well written these these the you know the scary, scary stories to tell in the dark series. Um, not to mention the illustrations, uh, which has stuck with everyone. Um, and then John Belair's. I don't know wrote, if I've written any I've read any. Of oh, John Belair's was um, he was a children's writer. Well, you know, a young adult writer, and his his famous novel is called The House with the Clock in Its Walls. It's basically, uh, and it's set in Michigan, so it's it's very Midwestern. Okay, so it's already scary because they're in Michigan, <laughs> right? <laughs> but <laughs> hey, a little dig. Um, I haven't been to Michigan, but I've not been to Transylvania either. <laughs> I just assume. They're just. I just assume there's weird stuff going on over yeah, there. Yeah, you're right. There is. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, the the uh, the John Belair's, uh novels, and again, this goes right back to childhood um, and the, the stuff that you sort of encounter first, and then you move on to to Stephen King, and then you graduate from Stephen King into to Lovecraft, and then from there, it's 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 all Algernon Blackwood and Arthur Mackin. Right. Well, uh, Wendy Wendy just had her first brush with Lovecraft last week. No kidding. Yeah. What, what did you think? Oh, um, was he licking your feet? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a much more pleasant experience. (laughs) It was like I went, had my morning coffee and I'm like, I'm going to read this story. It was my assignment. I was kind of excited to to get some, you know, reading in and oh my gosh, it was so dark and like heavy and creepy and like not and and racist. And yeah, uh, (laughs) it was like all the bad things. (laughs) Um, I read um, the horror at Sandy Hook. Red Hook. That- Sa- Red Hook. <laughs> Sandy Hook was a different horror altogether. <laughs> Sandy Hook. That's up there near Appleton, isn't it? I think it is. It's a bar. Yeah. There's a bar in Wisconsin, like Southern Wisconsin, called that. Well, it's also where all those children were murdered. <laughs> right. I know. Which, like, so after that happened, and then um, a bunch of our friends in bands were playing, kept playing at that bar. I'm like, that bar might want to rethink their. Their name, name. like Sandy Hook does not give people nice thoughts anymore. That's really sad. Yeah. So anyway, I read the story and it it was, I mean, it was interesting. Definitely. And I could like the whole macabre (laughs) thing. Definitely. Like it just gave you that, that feeling of like, but it was, I mean, I guess I should read a different, what would you guys recommend for, for my second Lovecraftian experience? If I were to, to dip back into the well. I like the strange case of Charles Dexter Ward. That's it's, a long one. It's a long one, but it gets it, you get into the characters, so that's a yeah. that's a nice one. Um, okay. The uh, I think the Shadow over Innsmouth is a great story. Um, okay. I mean, it's got everything Lovecraftian in it that you'd mm-hmm. ever want, and there, there's even an action sequence which he he rarely wrote. Yeah, uh, no, that's a classic. <laughs> okay, well, 
sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but I, I do have the the all the the full works now of of Lovecraft because I bought for the Kindle, so might as well go and <laughs> might as well do it. Yeah, it's try, still good. Take another stab at it. <laughs> well, and then okay, so if you find that you like that, mm-hmm. um, there's a, a a great one, Herbert West Reanimator, and then they made a movie. A, a guy from Wisconsin, a, a guy from UW. Uh, who I've interviewed on several different occasions for different publications, and he's been to the Wisconsin Horror Film Festival and everything, directed the movie based on H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. Oh, that's cool. And has It all a, comes back to Wisconsin eventually. It does. Have <laughs> a, yeah. The Wisconsin connection. Yeah, he's got a bunch oh, of Oh, seriously, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. even it, You find that even in Ireland? <laughs> well, well, just briefly back to Lovecraft. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. You know that 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 um, his first publisher is a Wisconsinite. He's he's from Sauk City, oh, Arkham House. Yeah, we talked about that last week, actually. Yeah. That, so his first book publications are, are from Wisconsin. Like you can drive up there and, and and see the little. It's called Place of Hawks, where August Derleth used to live. I intend to do that. After hearing that, I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. I like to. I like to. Whenever I drove over the August Derleth Memorial Bridge, picture <laughs> that Lulu's going to come out and just like subsume my car. <laughs> Uh, you know, just you know, lick the tires. Yeah, that would be an, actually in Sock City. That'd be improved. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, Wisconsin does have a lot of weird stuff, and so absolutely, you know, being influenced by that. So then, Brian, when you um, moved to Dublin, yeah, what did you uh, did you find like a open kind of community to that kind of thing already there? It's there's a lot of uh, overlooked Irish authors of the macabre that are they're just for one reason or another they don't they don't get a look into the Irish literary scene because uh, everyone knows the big names like Joyce even though I suspect not as many people read him uh, right. Beckett Sean Casey um, yeah I mean there's a lot of George Bernard Shaw actually he doesn't he's not big around here either he was just born down the block from here but there's a lot of guys that 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 you really wouldn't know of or even think that they're Irish like um, I suppose he's not really a horror writer but Lord Dunsany okay. the fantasy writer yeah um, and then Joseph Sheridan Lefanu who is probably like uh, a precursor to M.R. James you know he, he was a ghost story writer as well and he is buried just down the block from here well and he uh, I mean he pretty much was like created the template for the ghost stories in the Victorian novels right yeah I think it's fair to say that yeah, absolutely. He's um, sort of the progenitor of the of the psychological ghost story. Um, what do you mean? What, what do you mean by psychological ghost story? Uh, the sort of story where you've got a guy who's you don't know whether the, the supernatural force is is something that's external or something that's welling up from deep with, within him. Uh, someone who's carrying around guilt that just sort of manifests itself uh, as a as a little monkey. Um, <laughs> if you've read Green Tea, it sounds ridiculous, but it's it's a terrifying story. And I secretly suspect, by the way, that the that the monkey in in uh, Chris Griffin's closet in Family Guy is a is a reference oh, to, to Lefanu's. Really? I'm, 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 yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain it's a Lefanu wow. reference. And even if it's That's... not a Lefanu reference, it is now. Yeah, exactly. It is now. You just made it one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a thing. We could make a meme out of that. Um, and it, it, right, it, it would only be fa- you know fans of the Victorian novel would be like yeah, and everybody else would be like what the. 
So, um, cool. And what do you think was, what, were, what was the stuff that he was inspired by to, to kind of create that? Because those are the stories when you talk about the, the Victorian ghost stories, that's, I mean, the foundation of a lot of our ideas of what a haunted house story is supposed to be. And so what were yeah. some of the things that influenced him? I think, um, I think you can find, well, he, I mean, he liked Walter Scott quite a bit, <laughs> okay. uh, which, which didn't necessarily inform his, his ghost stories. Uh, but I suspect he read Poe, um, thoroughly as everyone did. Sure. Um, uh, and he, the, the frustrating thing about Lefanu is he didn't leave a lot of manuscripts. He had a, he had an alcoholic wayward son who died quite early, died just a few years after, after his father did. But, but all of his diaries and manuscripts and everything were sort of dispersed and uh, lost. So we don't have, we don't have any of that stuff um, as we would for, well, Lovecraft would be a great example. Of Where we have his letters and... Yeah, manuscripts, everything. So we know exactly what he was thinking, what his what his philosophy was. But Lefanu is a bit more elusive, I think. Um, but he would have read Poe, and you know, it's it's actually quite interesting because he kind of slots in right between Poe and Stoker. I guess would be the big you know milestones on either side, um, and where uh, Lefanu might have been sort of taking a few notes from Poe. I think Stoker definitely took a few. You know, stole a few moves from Lefanu. Um, well, did they? Um, did anything like happen to him that would drive him to these interesting things? That he see any stories <laughs> of him seeing anything weird, like a UFO in his backyard, or like ben. <laughs> yeah, that would maybe have inspired him to uh, be interested in the macabre. Well, yeah. Again, this is this is the same question, though, isn't it? I mean, it's it's it's. Why do people? Why are people drawn aesthetically to the things that they're drawn to? I mean, they just are. Um, I mean, are you are you talking about about his his wife's death? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, just, like little yeah. things. Like I, I, later, I wanted to talk a little bit about Harry Houdini, and there is yeah. a there's a very clear uh, line from Houdini's mother's death to him seeking out spiritualism, and so yeah. did Lefanu have any of that in his life? Yeah, well, his wife, um, Susanna, died at an early age, and he sort of felt quite a bit of guilt um, after that. And there was a long period where, I mean, he, his, his writing um, was basically, can be broken into a couple of different periods where, you know, it was before his wife died and after his wife died. And after his wife died, he, he, uh, he had a number of children that he was supporting. So he just started writing novel after novel after novel. Yeah. Um, man's, just man's as family yeah but he also owned um some magazines and newspapers and he was he was kind of writing his own copy um and during this period too i mean he he became less and less social um i don't think he was necessarily a recluse but but it kind of went in that direction um so yeah i mean something like that of course your wife dying that's got to have a profound effect on you. yeah no that sounds like a big one yeah <laughs> But um, I mean, you were talking about him being, uh, you know, you said bur just buried down the street. Yeah. And well, I had a great experience with when I first moved here, and I didn't I didn't move to Ireland for any reason. I just sort of I picked up with Adam, Adam Savage. That's right, our, another college Everyone's friend. Right. Yeah. And and Adam and I just just moved here. It just seemed like the sensible thing to do. Well, you were thinking. And why wouldn't you? You loved you too. <laughs> 
You know, I love Guinness. I love you too. I'm going to Dublin. Hey. And I, I think what's his face is it's not too far from here too. You could probably phone him up. I, so, what times are tar- are tough here too. I I saw him working construction. Uh, Bono. He yeah, was. Uh, yeah. You could tell because he had the wrapper on sunglasses <laughs> under his hat helmet. And the the chartreuse vest. On. <laughs> so, but um, no, I, I when I when I moved here, I didn't. You know, there are all of these uh, Irish uh, authors of the macabre, and I had been familiar with Lefanu before I moved here. But it wasn't until I moved here, and it was just within a few months that I, what, for whatever reason, I picked up a biography of him, and I started reading it. And I got to the part where he died, <laughs> as happens in a biography. <laughs> right, reached the end. And it said where he, it said where he was buried, uh, at Mount Jerome Cemetery. And I, I, I clearly remember sitting, I was in a, in a Georgian house on Palmerston Road at the time, sitting in front of the window. And it was, you know, uh, Monday afternoon or whatever. And I, and I just thought, wait a second, that cemetery is, is just, you know, down the way. I can, I can go there right now. So I did. I put the book down and, and I, you know, I, I actually pushed it into a bag and I, and I took a hike and I, I went down to the cemetery and I found him. What? Uh, and connect that to haunted Wisconsin. You know, it's just like saying, like, I can go to Lake Monona right now and get my toes licked by a lake monster. <laughs> so you're like, I can go see where this guy was buried, you know, and then yeah. it's it's that connection to, you know, there's folklore there. You know, you're re- reading about something that happened in the place you are. And that's exciting. Yeah. You know, that's exciting in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. And so but, but the, I wanted to get in. I see it's like buried down the street. Now, when you wrote your book. Yeah, uh, it, you were in, and all the ghost stories. You were inspired by your neighborhood in Dublin, the Bleeding Horse. Yeah, the Bleeding Horse and other ghost stories, which wasn't my my title, by the way. It was it was meant to be called Ghost Stories of Rathmines, which was a play on um, one of Lefanu's uh, triptych stories called Ghost Stories of Chapelizid, which is a Dublin suburb uh, on the north side. So I thought, right, I'm going to write Ghost Stories of Rathmines, and I'm going to write three short little stories. Okay. Uh, all about the neighborhood that I live in. Well, it turned into an entire book worth of stories. And, um, yeah, so what I did is I, is I, I sort of looked at the, at the history of the neighborhood. I mean, I didn't, I didn't look at any of the folklore or any of the ghost stories that existed. And most of the supernatural occurrences are completely made up, but it was, it was sort of driven by this, this interest in, you walk by a house, right? An abandoned house or something that you, that, that kind of looks a little bit odd. And you're like, God, I, I wish something cool happened there. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's haunted, right? Uh, so I, I just, I started making up stories about the places that I was passing every day that, that, um, that I was seeing that I could have some sort of connection with. Um, and then the more I looked into the history of the neighborhood, the more I was, was able to sort of think, you know, you don't have to, really make a lot of stuff up all the time you can just uh you know so i started swiping bits from history i started making stuff up and i I came up with this mishmash of of um well it's a bag of lies based on history i guess okay so what do you think is your favorite uh history that you created a bag of lies from like what little piece did you (laughs) you know did you find the most inspiring or you're like this really leads a big old sack of bs yeah um (laughs) the well like I said, you, you don't have to look very hard to find these things, but but one of them was was there was a, an omnibus accident at the canal uh, because I, I live just near the um, 
near the uh, the Grand Canal here in Dublin. Dublin has two canals. There's the Royal Canal on the north side and the Grand Canal on the south side. And there was, in I think it was 1871, there was this horribly tragic omnibus accident where the where the omnibus sort of backed in. Real quick, the horses were... real quick what's an omnibus? Uh, an omnibus would be um, uh, like a public coach. Uh, it was. It's basically a horse-drawn carriage, but it was. It was um, a public. Um, you know, just like it's like a, a bus. It's like, like the mega bus of the of your. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of your. Uh, with this and horses instead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Really, it was still a dollar a ride or whatever. So. <laughs> Mike Mike is a uh, a frequenter of the Megabus and he's always got great stories. So it's just like I'm trying to think of the the equivalent uh, of of the of the of the poor bastard that had to <laughs> right, like the-, the driver like chastising people and the people on their on their phones like yelling at their you know kids and I don't know right and, and always yelling you can't smoke in a bus and I'm like who's smoking in the what is this 1972 <laughs> what are you doing. <laughs> Can't wait just to arrest them. Filling up the cab with, with pollutants of smoke. Right, and then she's just like, "Well, I'm gonna call the state trooper," and I'm like, "Can't we just get to our destination, for Christ's sake?" <laughs> um. Anyway, so um, so an omnibus accident happened in 1871. And please continue. Backed up. Yeah, well, <laughs> please proceed. Back on track. Back on track. Well, something spooked the horses. And the horse, uh, the horse is sort of backed up, and the I guess it jackknifed or something like that. And the, the omnibus went into the lock because the canal has has these locks all along it. So it went into the lock, which was filled up, and uh, everyone drowned. Oh my gosh, that's horrible! It's your typical tragedy. There were there were men, women, children. Uh, so I thought, right, well. Sad. Let's make up a story about this. Um, what spooked the horses, for one? So Good question. What what spooked the horses? Or do we have to? Do well, we, in my story. Yeah, right. In, <laughs> right. In, in this, so come but, on, Mike. I'm trying to sell a book here, Mike. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But, <laughs> Leave some mystery. <laughs> that's the thing, though. But that's where you take a little, like you take real history and create like a, a yeah. events surrounding it, and that's a fun way to number one learn about the wrath mines. Why? And why is yeah. it called the wrath mines? So there used to be a mine there. Like an angry mine? No, no, no. There, there was a castle. Um, mines would have been the, I think, the family or like a corruption of the of the original family. And a wrath is just a castle. Okay. Like a fairy wrath, you know. It's it's like a like a fort. Not not necessarily, you know, one of these big castles that you that you that 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 Dracula lives in, but you know, a smaller sort of uh, defensive fort. Okay. So that was yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's it's a way. It's just a way for me to not be bored when I'm walking to work. Okay, that's a good way to put it. I mean, that. Yeah. But but yeah, it's it's kind of like going back to what we were talking about before, where you know, there's questions that we just don't have the answers to, and we never will. So you use your imagination, and you you know think of different answers. Yeah, exactly. Well, and when you're a, when you're a little kid, and I mean, let's. So in um, my hometown, we never had any. I mean, I guess there was a couple of abandoned houses, but not not like in the neighborhood or anything. But yeah. you always have that idea about the abandoned house, you know, or I mean, yeah. I guess there wasn't um, by my high school, there was like an abandoned farmhouse where, you know, you go play the Ouija board and stuff like that. You think of the generations of kids that played the Ouija board here before. And yes, thank you, Parker. Thank you, Parker Brothers. Yeah, or the haunchies, you know, <laughs> for, 
Thank you, Parker Brothers, for giving our our, our children a portal into the right and and the, the other side. And when you talk to so like I interact with various mediums and psychics on, on Twitter now, and uh, that's you know part of the job description, I guess. <laughs> but the thing is, they're always like, "Don't you touch the you know the Ouija?" They act like the Ouija board really is a gate to hell. They're like, "Oh, well." <laughs> I, asked, I was gonna, I was just gonna say, and some and. It can be right. I mean, right? No, I, I, I it just makes me laugh when they're just like. But you should. I mean, you're not going to sell that at KB Toys. It's like, hey, check out. You can get a gate to hell for seven ninety nine this week. No, I remember as. <laughs> I do remember as a child though. Like we were super excited. We totally wanted to get that. You know, because one of our friends had it, and then we did get it, and then. And then it terrified me and I never touched it again. And Right. Well, there's another – I mean, Brian just made a good point when he said Captain Howdy because there's a connection to The Exorcist because they're playing with the oh, Ouija. Yeah. We were talking about The Exorcist last week because we were talking about Pazuzu being based on yeah. the peacock angel of the Yazidi people in Kurdistan. And, and I realized I just said a whole bunch of words that most people will have no idea. It almost sounded like you were speaking a foreign language yeah. for a second there. Right. It is Yazidi. I get John with stand. Right. Um, so, but yeah, they're playing with the Ouija board in The Exorcist. And Captain Howdy shows up and D. Snyder um, made, wrote a song called Captain Howdy. That's on uh, <laughs> uh, Stay Hungry, which is Twisted Sister's biggest album. And eventually he made a movie called Strangeland. And I think the bad guys called oh, yeah. the bad yeah. guys called Captain Howdy in Strangeland. And so, if you if you guys don't remember in The Exorcist, Captain Howdy is the person that they're talk is the entity that they're talking to on the Ouija board that Reagan and her friends are, and that eventually you know that becomes Pazuzu takes over Reagan, makes her head spin around and, and uh, vomit <laughs> pea soup all over the place. Um, I tell you, when I, when I meet Max von Sydow, I really hope that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> right. If he may, I mean, isn't, I'm always amazed by how old, uh, like, I thought Christopher Plummer was dead. He's still kicking around <laughs> in a movie. Max von Sydow, like, I, he's in the new Star Wars movie. And Is he? Like, yeah. Angela Lansbury's still alive, too. Holy crap. What? Yeah, she just won an award recently. Yeah, for living She's forever. Is <laughs> you win. Congratulations. Yeah. You've lived longer than everyone. Angela Lansbury. Wow. Oh, great. Well. Who um, was in the picture of Dorian Gray? Right? Oh, really? Oh, I, I haven't seen that. Wilde, and now we're back to Ireland. <laughs> yes, I we love, are. That. I was I love say, that story, though. Yeah, that's a classic. Book. And uh, that that book creeped me out so bad. Like, and check it out, Oscar. Uh, the Oscar Wilde. Um, I can't even remember where I read this, and I've been looking for this uh, for a long time now. But I, I read that uh, Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. He lived on the south side of Marion Square. It's an, it's an, it was an affluent. It still is. It's more of a business district now but he lived on Marion Square in the center of Dublin and the Wild family lived on the north side of the square and I'd read somewhere that the the, the Wild children and the Lefanu children who would have been around the same age used to play together oh it's a small city wow that's awesome who who would let their kids play with the wild children though really <laughs> they have no manners they're just crazy Bram Stoker Bram Stoker author of Dracula used to come over to the wild house for parties well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And you, well, you can, uh, well, then you take three uh, authors of um, weird stories, you know, yeah. right there. 
Uh, and you can see that, like, that Dublin had its own weird scene. I mean, obviously, Oscar Wilde is probably into it, but, you know, <laughs> but he is, like, the area had its own um, occult author scene, you know, kind of. Yeah, like, it's, it's a hopping scene. I mean, kind of yeah. like how we talk about the letters between uh, Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft and thing and the correspondence and, um, and, and so Stoker, you think, was very influenced by Lefanu. I think he, I think he was probably influenced by him. Yeah, there, I mean, there's no, there's, there's not a smoking gun, but but you can you can sort of smell the, uh, you, yeah, you can smell the fire. Um, Carmilla was was Lefanu's vampire story, and uh, you can see sort of traces of that in in Stoker's uh, short story, which was an excised chapter of some sort called Dracula's Guest. Okay. Um, yeah, they're they're both set in the same place. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dublin is just it's a small, small city even now. Um, so these crossovers are there's a ton of them. Well, I there's was t- I was surprised when I visited Ireland that there's what is it? Is there like five million people on the island? Yeah, not even that. Like, like it's not even four. right. Wow. Like I was thinking it was just a lot bigger and stuff like that. I'm like, how do they even make all that soap with only that many people? <laughs> Yeah, I can see Wendy's shaking her head now, too. (laughs) They don't don't make that there? Oh, God, I feel like a jerk. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, um, no, they don't make the soap there. They just. (laughs) They don't actually make the soap there, Mike. They just get the smell. Okay, okay. So they get the smell from the Import it to the factory. Okay, good. That's how I love it. Uh, But, right, so it's a small city. The people were, you know, pollinating each other's stories and things and and that's a lot of our you know paranormal themed literature i mean bram stoker set i mean he set the the tone of it you know dracula and that's that's where we get all of our ideas about modern vampirism yeah i think he's he's a pivotal uh figure in in horror literature for sure Um, he may not have written the best novel but but He's certainly written one of the most influential ones. I mean, there's there's fallout from his still happening. And so much of our ideas of of paranormal themes are shaped by what these guys did in the 19th century. And so that's why yeah. I, I kind of wanted to bring up the spiritual, like how you know popular spiritualism was in the yeah. in the 19th century, and um, how that you know. And people are still like I was really surprised. Like I talked about interacting with mediums and stuff, and we've interviewed a couple of mediums in the past month on the show. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that those people still exist. That there's so many and they still exist. You oh, know, yeah. like it wasn't just Miss Cleo. Like was you know the the last person. I'm seeing a man in your future, and I'm seeing a new baby. <laughs> I know Miss Cleo. Like oh yeah, and he's definitely cheating on you. And you're like oh my god. And somebody's incarcerated. <laughs> yeah. Maria Sky and the Wolfman, right? Yeah. And well, I think, I mean, I told Wendy this, Brian, I don't know if I ever told you this, that originally, um, like when the first internet crash happened, like 15 years ago in 2000, like I was doing music, I was doing music reviews for these websites <laughs> and I was making decent money and it was great. And then all the money got pulled out of the internet and I had to, yeah. you know, find work, <laughs> you know, I had to get employment. And um, one of the things that I signed up for was being a psychic 
on the Miss Cleo line. So horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how bad can it be? And I went through the training. Like the whole thing. I mean, the training was basically just several long emails of what t- what tarot cards mean. You know, it really was like that was the training. And I talked to, you know, a woman talks to you for like a half an hour. And she's it's like, so well, sad. you know, I can do this from home. I'm helping people while I'm folding my laundry and get yeah. all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but how, what happens when somebody's like, I want to know if, my best friend is going to die of this disease or I, you right, know, or like, is my husband cheating on me or something? Right. Like, you can ruin a marriage by saying, well, the cards say yes, you better get his ass out of the house. See, I don't see that. I don't know if, if like tarot card readers are necessarily, uh, predicting the future. I think a, a good tarot card reader is, is kind of going to give you a few things to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something, yeah, like reading a horoscope. It's not necessarily going to tell you, you know, what's going to happen, but it can give you food for thought, and you yeah. can you can you can come up with ways to sort of attach it to your own life. It's it's a different form of analysis, you know, and it's it's yeah. a it's a framework for self analysis. I'll give it right. this. I'll give. This. Yeah, but I still I couldn't get. <laughs> and then there's the loonies. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't. Uh, I eventually didn't do it. You know, I, I called in one night because you call in and then you set your phone up. And then I'm like, no, like I couldn't tell. I couldn't because I'm like not psychic. I'm just going to be lying to somebody. Your, your name, your, your psychic name. I didn't even think about having a psychic name. Oh, my name. gosh. I'd like be, I don't know. the Mystical Mike. Or the mysterious Magoo or something like that. I don't know. It's like I had a, uh, I, in high school, I worked for a collection agency. And I had to have, you know, a fake name for that. <laughs> because, you know, you don't want people coming after you. Like, you're no. the one that ruined my life. Right. So you reported me to the credit agency. What was your fake name, Wendy? Um, it was Lynn Hunt. Okay. <laughs> that sounds made up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, totally unoriginal. But it was just because, you know, my middle name is Lynn. And then I there was a, there's a string quartet that uh, a piece by Mozart that's called The Hunt that I really liked. And I was like, that okay. sounds cool. Whatever. Well, and that sounds realistic. <laughs> right. I would have picked something like Pip Wafferschnaffer or something like that. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that it has to be like easy to remember because people, sometimes you'd leave messages and you'd, you'd ask them to call you back and they never would, of course. But right. like, if they did, you'd I want them to be able to. Yeah. What was it? I would have been Ernie Hudson, I think. <laughs> right. And they were like, I loved you in Ghostbusters. No, but that's the thing. Um, like, I would have picked something like that Dickens would have used for a name. And so immediately everybody would be like, your real, your real name's not Pip, is it? And I'm like, well, what, how, how, do you know, how do you know it's not? Um, okay. But spiritualism in the 19th century, and it still exists. Back on track. It still exists. It's still a thing. And it, um, it, it was a really powerful force. I mean, how, what kind of influence did it have on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Well, not just not just spiritualism too, but I mean to, to sort of to, to springboard back from the the Wilde family. Uh, William Wilde, Oscar's father, was a we'll call him an amateur Egyptologist. He he traveled through Egypt uh, at a time when people were sort of just swiping stuff and bringing them back with them. Uh, sort of, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so William Wilde's house was filled with mummies. Well, awesome. not filled with. He had a few mummies. Not just mummies out like in all the closets. There's mummies. <laughs> but um, you know, in in the late 19th century, uh, there would be parties, mummies, mummy unwrappings, 
people would come over and it would be this sort of pseudo-scientific mummy unwrapping. Like, let's see what's inside this thing. And they would unwrap the mummies. They'd have a, uh, and they'd have a party to unwrap a corpse <laughs> that they stole from the Middle East. God, yep. you got to love imperialism. Wow. Like, I mean, that is really this is, creepy. This is the height of the British Empire, too, right? Seriously. The, um, the sun never sets on entitlement. <laughs> But uh, I think I think spiritualism would have kind you know it would have been around the same time that people would be coming over and there would be sort of parties uh, where you would have uh, I don't know I don't know when tarot became popular but you would have mediums that would that would channel spirits and, and this sort of thing it was it was sort of a popular pastime this this era of pseudoscience but also the era of, I mean things must have felt like possibilities and. The world must have just felt very mysterious at the time, and had it had a very mysterious quality to it, and a you know a mystical, spiritual, occult quality. And um, this, I think that's that's a that's a fun time in which to live. I think this is a bit like what Wendy was saying earlier, though. Is sometimes when you have too many answers, you start uh, craving a few more mysteries. And if you remember what year was, was, um, the origin of species published, mm. like we're talking 1860 ish. Right. Um, so it's, it's, and, and Lefanu's, uh, story green tea was published in 1872. I think it was 1871. Wow. No, sorry. 1869. So right on the heels of these sorts of things, this, this is when you're having, um, uh, not only an explosion in, in scientific understanding, but also, I think, an explosion in, in pseudoscience um, in people that are kind of uh, trying to reintroduce a bit of mystery. Right. And, not, and, it's a, and as attested to, the popularity of these, you know, occult stories, uh, like you said, yep. the vampire stories and then Dracula, yep. obviously huge, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I mean, massively successful with Sherlock Holmes, and yep. um, he would give. He, <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great contradiction too, Conan Doyle and uh, and and his beliefs, and the fact that he that he came up with Sherlock Holmes. Right, a man who just would use deductive reasoning, and right. Sherlock Holmes would think Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was crazy. He'd be yeah, like, you he are believed crazy. in fairies. Yeah, like he thought. Right. He honestly believed in fairies. Well, I, I have an interesting uh, Doyle. <laughs> connection i guess what's that Doyle um i think Conan doyle I, I oh sorry <laughs> um <laughs> nice <laughs> doyle from the misfits okay good one um everyone likes the misfits sorry wendy that's right no no, no. i i i'm a fan too um, <laughs> we are. i think i've alluded to this in previous episodes but um when i was in high school i did an afs exchange in, to switzerland one summer i lived there with the host family and um the host family that i lived with they're the grandfather was the caretaker for the castle that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had lived in and owned. Um, is this, um, I forget the name of the under Underwood. You know what? I I'd have to look, I have a whole like picture album and everything. And I haven't looked at it in like 20 years, <laughs> but, uh, because I was really into castles. I, I was like, castles are awesome. And so they're like, sure. Oh, well here, <laughs> Gramps is the caretaker here, so they they took us there, and um, the the my host sister and I just they basically gave us the key, and yeah. we got to run around and explore it, with like because you know it's only open for tours on scheduled times and dates, and it was just so cool, but it was also very <laughs> strange, <laughs> like just 
imagining someone actually living in a place like that. I mean, it had it had a dungeon, like a real creepy dungeon, and um, awesome. It was just what you think of as a castle, you know, in a in a story is exactly how it was. So yeah. he lived there, and it's just at the time, I guess I didn't appreciate it probably as as much as I would now, but um, I still well, thought you it was... did. I mean, you got to explore, and what kid doesn't <laughs> like to explore? Right, and you right, got to castle. explore the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, his personal cat like first of all he had a personal castle like that's pretty sweet <laughs> but and it's huge and it's gorgeous but you know what i what i thought it was cool about him uh is i mean he got into he did lectures on spiritualism like he would yeah. really uh he would go and they talk about he did these, he did a series of seven lectures in new york city and uh he was so convincing that some people killed themselves. What? People killed. We'll put a link to this. Uh, actually, um, it's on Troy Taylor's website. This whole the connection between Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle. So we'll put a link I to it. In the no show idea. Notes. And that's a convincing speaker. People killed themselves so they could get to the, see the next world. Wow. What? Yeah. One woman killed her children and like drank a bottle of lysol. Oh my gosh. Why though? Like you're gonna die anyway. Right. Because they, because he was talking about the wonders of the next world. And how huh. great it's going to be, and they're like, "Well, screw it, we're going to take the shortcut." I think somebody, I think somebody told me about that last night at the frequency. They offered me something. They're like, "Dude, some, you can see the wonders." <laughs> some Lysol, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Lysol oh. huffers. Well, this also would have been right after uh, World War One, and there was another boom in spiritualism after that. Because uh, so many people died. So many, yeah, uh, I think it's sort of was part of the grieving process. Um, so there was, a, there was a huge interest in that. And I'm sure Conan Doyle, we won't say capitalized on it, but he was he was right there. I mean, he was a believer himself. Yeah, he was into it. And the thing is, Harry Houdini wasn't a believer because after his mother died, his he was searching for, uh, he wanted to speak to her. He was That's so right. upset. And Harry, there's another Wisconsin connection because Harry Houdini was born yep. in Wisconsin. And he was born, he's born uh, in, in Apple. Hungary. No, he, they, the family moved to Appleton, and he was raised there. Okay, okay. And for anyone in the area, there's a great museum up there. They have the milk crate or the milk can. Okay. The manacles. Yeah. So yeah, visit the, there. I have a, yeah, I'm gonna have to go All visit, right, we're visit gonna, the museum. We need to have like a, a few field trip. little field trips. Yes. Because oh, do some cool. live live broadcasting from there and stuff. Because we also we'll do a field trip to Camp Wanawak, which is a spiritualist camp yes. that has like you can get readings they have a they have a, a religious service on sunday and then you stick around and then they they see the dead people around you where is that the, allison where's camp wanawak uh, about an hour from the dells about an hour from the dells my <laughs> my sister I don't, my sister knows because she's been there okay. wait a minute she just made this officially our first four-person yeah podcast she added in so it's a four-person okay houdini was born in hungary moved to appleton and lived in milwaukee for three years there you go. So that's coming from Milwaukee Ghosts expert Allison Jordan, who's <laughs> assisting with the information today. Um, okay, but the thing, but he was really into it, and he, yeah. you know, he wanted to talk to his mom, and he missed her so bad. And um, him and Arthur Conan Doyle became friends. They had a lot of disagreements because Houdini was a debunker, and Conan Doyle was a believer. This is like the X Files. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. Right. But, and, they should have had their own show. Right. Yeah. But uh, I guess people probably wouldn't have watched The X-Files because they uh, with uh, Houdini and 
uh, Conan Doyle because Conan Doyle wasn't as cute as David Duchovny. And you can One ask girls. There's a huge population of people who watch the X-Files just because they think oh, David yeah. Duchovny was cute. I was going to say one of them could have just worn a red wig. <laughs> right. Um, also, okay, but here's the thing. It's going to be a TV show. That's right. That's right. About uh, the friendship between Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it's going to be on, yeah, Fox just approved it. And 10 episode series to Fox. And it's called Houdini and Doyle. And it, it's going to go into. And, and, friends. So it's going to be like the <laughs> X Files we were just we were just talking about. So that. Uh, oh, and they did they did the uh, House and the Librarians. That's the the people who are doing this show did those shows. They, that's coming from Allison too, helping out with little notes. Past <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so that's an interesting thing. So anyway, just to kind of make that connection to pop culture today, we're still interested yeah, yeah. in these characters from a hundred years ago. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what was the movie? Um, was it The Prestige? Or there were there were two movies about like magicians. Yeah, one was Prestige, and yeah, the one with Paul Giamatti, um, the Illusionist. Yeah. They came out like right at the same time, but but the, I think The Prestige was the one that I I really liked. That was the one with Tesla, and it was like his his technology that helped right. you David, know, make the. Doesn't David Bowie take play Tesla in yeah. the Prestige? Yeah, that's, oh, that's a, why I liked it so much. Okay, never mind. Yeah, Sorry. that's a given. Plus, it has Hugh Jackman, and he's dreamy. Truth. Um, <laughs> but no, and Michael Caine, who's who's in his hundreds now, I think. Yes, right. No, Michael Caine will never die. But um, but the, the you know just the fact that that movie, although it was fiction, inspired by the the same like cast of characters, I guess that I would think these guys fit into. So. Well, and the thing is, they're also, I mean, the, the way that I found out that Harry Houdini was into spiritualism and debunking um, that was from a, a TV show called Voyagers. And Voyagers was basically where you had this little kid who was a history expert, and you had this guy that was part of an organization that traveled through time and corrected history when it went wrong. And they had like a, a fob pocket watch that would say yeah. it was red if they were in the you know history was still wrong and it showed red and then it would show green was that they accomplished their mission and got history back on the right oh, that's spot. That's cool. So they had an episode. Like quantum leap. It, that's what I when quantum leap first came on I was like this is just like voyagers when they're correcting history. Oh, that's funny because I was just talking to a friend of ours. Um, he was telling me about a book he read when he was a child that there was this path you could go down and you go back in time and hunt dinosaurs but if you stepped off the path it would change history oh, so that, just, like the path was the safe the Ray zone. Bradbury story it's the, called it? uh, Distant Sound of Thunder oh cool okay so thank you because I need to read that because I just thought that was a really neat concept and I apparently haven't read that yet so um but it, it reminds me of the, the green and red light like okay not okay <laughs> that's right no you should definitely read the Distant Sound of Thunder but don't watch the movie they made a movie about 10 oh. years ago and it's terrible yeah. Okay. So well, don't don't sweat right. it. But you'll thanks for the you'll heads en- up on that. You'll enjoy the story. Um, but in, so the guy that starred in Voyagers, and he's the guy that said that blanks can't kill you. He was joking around on the set of a TV show that he was on after Voyagers was canceled. He put a gun to his head, filled with blanks, shot it. And it, uh, the blast fractured his skull, drove a bone, bone fragment oh. the size of a quarter into oh. his brain, and killed him. And so that's, I mean, I remember hearing that story as a kid, you know, that this actor that's... killed himself. Like, 
Absolutely horrible. Yeah. So, um, oh my God, that just makes me like ill right. thinking so about that. Kill himself with blanks. That's just another little interesting trivia. And can, and I don't know if anybody ever tried to talk to him from beyond the grave. Um, but they would probably, <laughs> they'd probably be like, why did you put the gun with blanks to your head? You could have just told us. You didn't have to prove it. Right. Couldn't you might have used a watermelon or something. You didn't have to put it on your head. Couldn't you have talked to the prop coordinator? Like he'd have been like, no, 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 no. Anyway. So that's just a little story about uh, John Eric Hexum and Harry Houdini, Arthur Conan Doyle. Anyway, uh, we're running out of time. So we just want to thank Brian for joining us today to talk a little bit about the foundations of our modern paranormal stories uh, and where they come from with some of these Victorian authors. Yeah, no and we have, we have a lot to talk about, so maybe uh, you can join us again in the future sometime. If you'd, yeah, if you'd I'd love care to. to. Love cool. To be good fun. Also, Brian, let's tell people where uh, they can find you, you know, uh, what, what books you got next and what they can get um, with Swan River Press. Oh, yeah. Well, you mean swanriverpress.ie is the website. There's uh, collections and novels by modern ghost story and writers of strange literature that you can find there. Uh, have a look. Maybe you'll see something you like. Okay. And is there anything you got coming out new that you want to push? Not really, Mike. Not really. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> make sure you get the Swan River Press. And make sure I've read, I've read The Bleeding Horse and other ghost stories, and I think it's a fantastic book. So I, I heartily recommend it. And there's a link in the show notes, and you can pick up a copy of that today. And the show notes, and the show notes at, are at othersidepodcast.com slash 36. Cool. All right. Cool. Could I wrap this show up, Mike and Wendy, with, with just one last connection I, I think is pretty cool. We'll bring it right full circle. Please do. Is you know that, that Houdini... Uh, and Lovecraft have a connection as well. And, and Lovecraft actually ghost wrote a story for Houdini that appeared in Weird Tales magazine. It's called Under the Pyramids. All right. Well, we'll find that and put a link to that in the show notes too. Awesome. Is it a good story? Is it, is it no. a good story? With no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to put this on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Brian. Nice talking yep. to you. And now let's hear a song. Love it. And this episode's song is inspired by J. Sheridan Lefanu's classic vampire novella, Carmilla, a tale of secret sapphic love and, of course, good old Victorian prudence. So here's our track, Carmilla. Starts from just a spark. Our secret experiments upon your angel innocence. It don't matter what you look like in the dark. Just you wait until the sun goes down and down, down, down. When she whispers, you're hers forever now. Come.
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.